1: our program is brought to you by MonticelloCollege.org, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, and also by LifesavingFood.com. And I want to welcome you to the show. There is a lot to cover today. I, I got to lay down a couple of ground rules. These are mainly for myself. No fear mongering. All right, we're not here to. I'm not here to raise your blood pressure. I'm not here to to get you uh, further frustrated or angry or, for that matter, feeling helpless about what's going on around us. Although, I think we can safely admit, uh, what a crazy time. Last week, man, just when you think that uh, you know, finally maybe things are going to settle down a little bit or at least things won't get worse. No, it uh, it, it appears that uh, those in power have decided to double down. And, uh, and the, the elephant in the room that a lot of people are talking about now is the idea that, uh, you know, the, the gauntlet's been thrown down. A hundred million unvaccinated Americans, they will get that vaccination or else. And the or else uh, seems fairly mild, at least at this point, it's or else uh, stand to lose their jobs. Crazy stuff. And it's it's a definite escalation on the part of those in power. And I've seen a lot of different responses over the weekend. I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of good analysis, a lot of venting, and I'm going to share with you several different viewpoints today. We're going to approach this uh, from a very practical standpoint. Okay, what can you do? We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the principles that are at stake. Why should people resist the mandates that uh, Joe Biden was uh, so eagerly handing out last week? He's telling us, you know, his patience is running thin, like, like he's some parent, scolding us. Actually, I have to admit, this is kind of crass, but one of the things that made me laugh the hardest was uh, a a lady taking offense to the president saying, you know, my patience is running thin or our patience is running thin. She's like, who the heck are you? I'm not your hoe. You're not my pimp. Get out there and make that money for me. My patience is running thin. And anyway, she really went off on him. But it was it was a good illustration of you know the relationship of government as our servant, as the guarantor and protector of our rights, versus this hybrid parent slash god telling us everything that we should do. Yeah, that uh, that relationship has been inverted. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about this. I I wanted to uh, wanted to mention. I think it was Thomas L. Knapp had an article about how, look, this is not about, the vaccine mandate is not about COVID. And I think some of the strongest evidence that he offered in that regard was he says, let's just think back, you know, a year ago. He says in May of 2020, there was a workable vaccine, meaning that they had had proven that it could work, but it hadn't been tested for efficacy. Now, I would think most people would say, well, we'd want that tested for efficacy, right? We want to see that it's actually going to keep working. But as far as safety, it had passed the safety tests for the FDA. But hadn't been proven for efficacy. So it took another six months from May of last year until the vaccines were approved in terms of um, emergency approval that uh, that they could start being administered. So here's the kicker. During that time, even if you wanted the COVID vaccine, the FDA would have prevented you from getting it. They would have said no. Now, the U.S. government is telling you, you have to have it. Yeah, it's it's not about, I don't think it's about, you know, this is just about controlling a disease and getting everybody, you know, to, to be healthy. I think this is more of a flex, and Thomas uh, L. Knapp says, yeah, it's this is about reminding the peons that they are in fact peons and we are your overlords and you will do what we say. And that's certainly how it came off to a lot of people. So as far as all the different recommendations, um, Thomas Woods, a lot of Thomas's that we're going to be hearing from here, but uh, Tom, Tom Woods uh, said, okay, so Biden has just essentially called for civil war. And I know that's, that's scary talk to some people, but, you know essentially when when you have a president talking about we're going to make this happen we're going to we're going to use a federal regulatory agency in this case OSHA occupational safety and health administration to enforce and fine employers $14,000 per incident up to 14,000 per incident if they don't insist that their employees you know get the shot that's pretty crazy and on top of that you know, they're, they're, they're talking about, uh, you know, removing governors that stand up in defiance of this. And I think, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, 26 now? I think it's 26 governors have said, we are not going to go along with these mandates. So, yeah, there's, there is a collision coming between federal policy and states interposing themselves between the federal government and their citizens. Yeah, there's uh, the stage for greater conflict has been set. And I don't disagree with those who say that uh, that perhaps uh, that gauntlet was thrown down in hopes of of persuading people who are tired of being backed into a corner from lashing out in some way against the government. I mean, it's not like we haven't had a lot of reasons to want to lash out before. But, you know, this is this is that finger thumping in your chest. What are you going to do about it? Huh? What are you going to do about it? And I know there are some people who actually seem pretty eager to see this thing come to blows. For the record, I'm not one of those people. Because I think once the the balloon goes up, we're going to see ugliness of a kind that we have not seen in a long, long time. And having talked with people who have actually served in the military and been deployed to areas where civil wars have been taking place. These are the worst kind of wars. These are the worst Thing you can imagine. Now that doesn't mean, therefore, we just should give up our freedoms and go along to avoid, you know, any unpleasantness. But you better make sure it's a very regrettable last resort, and not just, you know, I'm angry and you know I need to to lash out at somebody. I think the most uh, the most worthwhile recommendation that I have seen so far comes from Thomas Luongo. Saw this published on lewrockwell.com over the weekend. I'm including a link in the show notes at the Brian Hyde show.com. His take on this is quite simple. And I know that for some people this isn't going to be enough, but I want you to hear him out. He says, quietly say no to Joe Biden's call for civil war. Now, Luongo's not exactly, you know, uh, let me stick a flower down the barrel of your gun, you know, kind of kind of guy. He says, I've burned a lot of bridges in my life. I didn't intend to, to To describe me as volatile and opinionated. He says, that's a kindness. On the best of days, I'm barely fit for human consumption. But he says, looking back, my life can best be described as a series of bad first impressions interrupted by moments of social confidence. <laughs> he says, this happens not because I don't care about what people think or feel, but because I care too much. I see too much. And in my zeal, I put off people when all I want is for everyone else to see what I see. So he says, It's been a hard fought lesson to learn that confrontation is not only a poor persuasion technique, but it's aggressively counterproductive. And he says, I'm still working on this, definitely. At the same time, however, those that know me well know that when I'm confrontational, I'm engaged. Luongo says, I'm negotiating for a different outcome, albeit doing it badly. All my Italian flamboyance and bombast isn't anger, it's frustration. And he says, in print, it may be funny or inspiring, but in person, it's simply scary or rude. Now, he says, I've mellowed with age, certainly, 30 years of marriage to the greatest woman in the world. will teach you a few things, even old dogs like me. But he says, there is always a limit in every negotiation. There is a moment when all the frustration melts away and becomes anger. Cold, hard, implacable anger. The energy to negotiate dissipates because there is no possible solution. Tom Luongo says, in this respect, I'm just like my dad. We knew the bombast came from shock and processing the situation. However, when he was most disappointed with me, when I felt the most regret for what I'd done, was when he was speechless, speaking of his dad. Now, I'm going to hit the brakes here for just a moment because we're coming up on our, our break. But when we come back, I want to share with you Thomas Luongo's take on why we should quietly say no to Joe Biden's call for a civil war. This is not a call to give up. This is not a call to humbly kneel and bow your head before your betters. I think he's making a very rational call for what we need to do. And I don't think we give up one bit of the righteous anger that should be coursing through the veins of anybody who is still thinking for themselves and not being swept away by the COVID psychosis that apparently has gripped so much of our society. You want to hear it? Stick around. It's just the other side of these messages.
0: This... Is the Brian Hyde Show? This is the Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. All right,
1: we are all feeling a little bit of the uh, tension from this past weekend particularly from uh, last week when President Biden issued a number of mandates, a six-point plan to force us to do the right thing so that we can get control of this virus. I don't know if he actually believes that uh, by government edict we will control a virus, but by gosh, it looks like he's going to try it. Thomas Luongo, in a piece that was published on LewRockwell.com over the weekend, says that the answer to what has been thrown down in front of us, the challenge... That's been placed before us is not to lash out in violence. It's to say no to quietly say no to Joe Biden's call for a civil war. And he talks about how he he's been a a pretty provocative writer. And this is one of the reasons I like him, not because he's provocative so much, but just because he is very straightforward. You don't have to sit and wonder, gee, what did Tom Luongo mean by that? I mean, he's very direct. Sometimes that's actually refreshing. He says, in the months leading up to the 2020 election, he goes, I was negotiating in my writing months of articles and podcasts detailing my anxiety, pleading with the Davos crowd not to do what they ultimately did. Don't go there, I kept saying. You don't understand what comes next if you do. But on election night, they went there. In fact, he wrote about it. He says, for weeks, I've been saying I hope Trump's performance is strong enough and his coattails long enough to preclude the Democrats and the Davos crowd from trying to pull off the theft of the election. That they would see the magnitude of the problem in front of them and be stopped short by little things by like math. And then realize that even if they did try and cheat, it would be so transparent that nothing good for them would be gained by it. But they didn't listen. They didn't listen. Pulling off the theft only emboldened them to push harder. Their plans to destroy the world and build back better couldn't be stopped. They were on a roll. They'd pulled off the biggest psyop in history with covid 911 Now they'd just stolen the most important election in the world. And even if they had private misgivings in poker terms, they were pot committed. It's clear now they've truly felt they could bully the pot with their immense stack of chips. Now, Tom Luongo says, my horror on election night was brief, alone, staring at my screen in disbelief. I very quickly went from shock to anger, and I got very quiet. Around 2 a.m. Tuesday evening, he says, I realized they were actually going to do this, and I texted a friend the next morning. His response, civil war it is then. Now, Tom Luongo says, his friend got very quiet as well. And since then, a lot of conservatives and libertarians have gotten loud because they still think there's room to negotiate. Tom Luongo says, I told us then to become ungovernable and not wait for the vaccines. I burned bridges publicly confronting those who didn't see what I saw. Had we done the right thing then, we wouldn't be here today. Then on January 6th, Donald Trump made the strategic error to have them express their frustration at the Capitol. Davos used it to their advantage. Many are still being held as domestic terrorists. After another eight months of rolling out their biomedical terror state around the West and systematically silencing all rational and some irrational opposition to it, they pushed another big big stack of chips into the pot. President Biden told the world he'd run out of patience with those unwilling to take an experimental gene therapy. Now, he says, Biden's speech and mandates are an open call to the very thing I said after the election, civil war. He's trying to radicalize the unvaxxed to become violent, to push back at the bully pushing them. These are the words of a bully and a tyrant, no doubt. They're also the words of a senile old man overseeing a decrepit den of soulless, emotionally stunted vampires, terrified of losing potency. They are ultimately the ravings of a group of oligarchs so saturated with their own power and decadence that their actions now look more like the tantrums of spoiled, narcissistic children rather than sober and competent managers of a society. Since they're acting like children, we should treat them as such. They believe there are rules for thee, but not for me, anarcho-tyranny. Now, Biden played the exasperated parent card with this patience is thin rhetoric. He's appealing to those still terrified by a shadow play on their tablets and screens to scapegoat the unvaxxed and have half the country turn on the other half. But it played to the growing contingent of quiet men like a geriatric emperor of ice cream, barking orders at a funeral for a society that's grown cold and dumb through abuse and neglect. Biden is a senile old man, corrupt and clueless. He's unfit for purpose and unfit to rule. He's illegitimate, incompetent, and incoherent. Thomas Luongo says, I can list his attributes all day. It won't change anything. So what will? Now pay attention. This is really good advice here. He says, bullies are always daring you to throw the first punch. They need to justify their next act of violence against you. Meeting their violence with violence is acting out of frustration. They want us barking. They want us reacting to their false reality. Don't. They've fed off our outrage. Now starve them with our silence. He includes a quote from Alaska Governor Mike Dunleavy on Biden's vaccine mandates. This is ridiculous and unenforceable if there was ever a case for the 25th Amendment. But Tom Luongo reminds us there is nothing they can threaten us with. These edicts are hilarious, desperate, and unenforceable. All their power, all their strength is irrelevant in the face of angry men who simply say, no. That big pile of chips in the center of the table, that's an opportunity, not a barrier. There are a thousand ways to beat a bully by not giving him what he wants, control. This isn't about the vaccine. It never was. The only public health crisis now is a public mental health crisis. The people who've been broken by the COVID-19, COVID-9-11 terror campaign have their own issues to work out. They can be forgiven their terror, but it's time for the grown-ups to talk. The children can be excused from the table. So the opposite of their hysteria is needed. They don't need a punch in the mouth. They need therapy. No more negotiating with facts. They're immune to facts. What they are not immune to is a quiet, dismissive, if not exasperated, no. The kind of quiet disappointment my father used to use to shame me into maturation. And Tom Luongo says nothing will drive them more insane with rage. Calm, assertive statements of purpose. No histrionics, no court challenges, no media conferences. Listen to this next part. No marches on the Capitol like they're trying to create the illusion of by seeding the idea into the media. This is what they want you to do. Then they can justify to the self-righteously vaxxed that you deserve internment camps, that you are terrorists. So he says, just exude, no, because the only recourse that's left them is more violence, and every act of violence delegitimizes them further. He says, Biden declared war on 80 million plus Americans and threatened governors of sovereign states with intervention or removal. If the federales come to Tallahassee, Governor DeSantis should quietly meet them with force and arrest them. The supremacy clause in the Constitution is irrelevant when the government is in violation of it. Biden tried to light a fire beneath people who've screamed for three generations, my body, my choice, or health care is a basic right. Keep your laws off my body, hoping they will be his brown shirts and torch our society rather than face the ugly truth of their hypocrisy. What he did was he made a whole lot of people get very, very quiet. And the rage of those self-righteous hypocrites will not be slaked until they burn the covid 9 heretics at the stake because they cannot accept the responsibility for their emotions. They have to pour their vitriol and envy onto us because they can't face their evil. So instead of arguing universal basic income with them, or arguing that that's socialism, even though it is, he says, why don't we instead simply counteroffer with universal basic therapy for them? It would be far cheaper and a price, he says, I would gladly pay at this point to keep my society civil. I will have a link to this in the show notes. We'll come back and finish this up again from Thomas Luongo. We'll
0: be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout-out here to the
1: Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. They are located in St. George, Utah, and if you are moving into the Intermountain West, particularly moving into the state of Utah, first, congratulations. I don't know what what or where you've escaped from, but I think you're going to find life is very good. Now comes the fun part, though, finding a home in the hottest real estate market ever at least the hottest one that most of us have seen. You find the home of your dreams. You've got to have your financing squared away. This is where the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage is there to help you get the loan you need at the best rates possible and as quickly as possible. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. You can call 435-703-4522 or visit their office at 619 South Bluff Street in St. George. So I've been sharing this article from Thomas Luongo about the need to quietly say no to Joe Biden's call for civil war. And I want you to understand, I I don't take this lightly. I feel the gravity of what is uh, happening and what is taking place right now right under our noses. I've been watching closely, too. And I I feel the stress and I feel the pressure of this. This is getting pretty serious. But I like Luongo's approach. I think that uh, simply saying no absolutely puts the ball in the court of government. Now, what are you going to do about it? And, yeah, they will intimidate some people. Some employers are going, oh, okay, folks, we have to do this. I mean, that's the price we have to pay. But the more people who quietly say no and don't march on the Capitol and don't uh, lash out in any kind of violence, what are they going to do? You know, if the government gets more violent, it loses legitimacy by doing so. Why is this so important? Because you don't want to give up the moral high ground. I'm going to use a quick analogy here, and then I'll I'll move on from this topic. I know there are people who strongly disagree with Ammon Bundy and LaVoy Finnicum and Ryan Bundy and others who occupied the Malheur Wildlife Refuge several years ago up in Oregon. The media persists in calling it a standoff. Well, the standoff at Malheur, but there was no standoff. Not in the sense that we had, you know, barricades and guns pointed at each other and, you know, nothing was going to move because there was kind of this uneasy tension of armed sides, you know, ready for confrontation. The only guns that were ever pointed at anybody were in the hands of either the feds or state law enforcement. And this is a crucial distinction because it means that Ammon and Ryan and, yes, even our dear departed friend, Lavoy Finnicum, still hold the moral high ground. They never resorted to pointing guns at people to get their way. That was government officials. And the shock that people felt when the jury acquitted those who actually went on trial there in Oregon, or at least the, the majority of those, was in part due to that they could see that they had not given up that moral high ground. I know it still it makes some people angry to this day. Well, go get some therapy, I suppose, if if that's what you need to deal with it. We can't afford to give up the moral high ground. Tom Luongo says the same people that uh, that are are calling for us to to do whatever they say. The people who think that Oregon should erect uh, trade barriers with Texas over its abortion laws while believing that uh, Biden can force people to share their medical history with any random person who asks for it. He says those people aren't worthy of your time. They're abusers, they're blasphemers, they're braggarts, they're BS artists. And he says they've purposely broken our society because they can't face the man in the mirror, covering him up with an embroidered mask to salvage what's left of their individuality. So Luongo says, our task is now shining a light on this, not in anger, but in pity. For decades, they mistook our silence for assent. It's past time we disabuse them of that notion. Just like we should pity our senile emperor of ice cream for thinking he's the president and that anything he says carries the force of, well, anything. I'll have a link to this in the show notes. I would encourage you, check it out for yourself, The com. And just click on the show notes. You can check out Tom Luongo's article. Quietly say no. And understand you're not alone. So let's talk for a moment about the principles that are at stake here. Because it's it's one thing to, you know, to stand up and to say no. But we need to know exactly what we're standing for. I mean, there are more than enough parrots out there, right? You don't have to go too far to encounter bumper sticker slogans, you know, chanted or repeated loudly. Well, the Mises Institute is pretty hard to beat for a principled take on just about anything. And this is what their editorial staff had to say against Biden's mandates. They said, we oppose President Biden's lawless and authoritarian new mandates announced yesterday. This was published, I believe, on Saturday. We also denounce his divisive rhetoric toward unvaccinated Americans, his reckless antipathy for federalism and his threats to usurp state governors. Contra Mr. Biden, this is entirely about freedom and personal choice. His proposed executive orders represent nothing less than centralized tyranny, whereby the federal government operates under no legal constraints. This is government anarchy. Kind of fun to throw that word back at him, right? The announced policies, including mandated vaccines for private employers of a certain size, mandated vaccines for all health care workers, and mandated vaccines for federal employees, are wildly extra-constitutional and far beyond any executive power imagined in the Constitution. Of course, the same is true for the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, which, since its magical creation in 1971 laughably claims jurisdiction over working conditions across millions of private U.S. businesses operating on private property. OSHA is the bludgeon Mr. Biden intends to use against business owners in order to dictate their arrangements with employees by requiring COVID vaccines. Yet property ownership is defined by control. Ownership is a bundle of rights to the exclusive use of property. Biden's orders violate property rights directly by reducing the control a business owner has over the conduct of that business. And yes, this understanding of property rights applies in other settings. Federal regulations on businesses or even worse, executive orders from an individual president are simply a form of partial theft, a diminution of property owners' rights. They are akin to stealing a percentage of a business. Legality aside, the Mises Institute says Biden's proposals are deeply immoral and unnecessary. COVID risks do not justify the hysteria emboldened by the president's announcement. After 2020, we know definitively that elderly and obese individuals are at greatest risk of death from COVID, while younger and healthier people face no more and often less risk than ordinary flu. Yet not only does Biden threaten to repeat the mistakes of 2020, He intends to intensify them. Markets and civil society can address health concerns far better than any centralized system. At most, state and local governments should act according to local conditions. And they warn this will get worse if not stopped. Dr. Leanna Wen, a professor at George Washington University and CNN medical correspondent, is an archetype of progressive demands for COVID policy. She urges Biden to require mandatory vaccines for all schools, all employers, all interstate travel by car, and all flights. She also urges him to create a national electronic database for proof of vaccination status. Do we really intend to forbid Americans from attending school or working if they disagree about vaccines? The implications of this are enormous as are possibilities for government database to grow into an Orwellian apparatus to track private citizens. The Mises Institute says no liberal society forces medical treatment on healthy citizens, nor monitors their movements or employment. No sane society accedes to sweeping new policies, not laws, enacted without due process and imposed by a centralized state. And no healthy society allows its political class to demonize whole swaths of the country while creating fear and division. Ultimately, this is not about the lethality of any virus, but about property and freedom. Society can deal with a virus, especially a virus with a very low mortality rate. But no utilitarian arguments are necessary. The principles involved are not situational and do not scale we cannot submit to an ever-growing medical police state or crazed executive actions simply out of fear. If we do, it will not be easy to undo the new normal. And they finish by saying, Mr. Biden, our patience is wearing thin with you. So there's a good litany of some of the principles that are at stake here. I don't know what your personal line in the sand is, but... As you can probably tell, those who are going to stand are standing. Those who are going to kneel are kneeling. We're getting pretty quick to that sifting, aren't we?
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. In my
1: show notes, you will find links to uh, each of my sponsors. I would encourage you to do business with them. If you need what they have to offer, drop them a line. Let them know that their message is reaching you via this program. In particular, I would strongly encourage uh, that you spend a little bit of time looking at the website for lifesavingfood.com. And I'm actually, in the next hour, I'm going to be talking a little bit about Um, You feel it right now, right? You feel the pinch when you go to the grocery store. I mean, do you you notice things are costing more? If you're buying any kind of meat, whether it's beef or poultry or pork, you're probably experiencing a little bit of sticker shock every single time. I know I am. But prices are about to go higher, and we're going to talk about why that's taking place. Uh, I think it was one of the chief executives from Kroger made that announcement uh, last week. So my point here is be a good time while there is still plenty of food in stock, while there's still plenty of uh, choice, while there's uh, great prices to be had. Go to lifesavingfood.com and get your food storage built up and squared away before everybody starts to realize, hey, I should be uh, putting some away. And uh, the demand goes up because when the demand goes up, the price goes up as well. It'd be a great time to do it now. Do it quietly. That's kind of the theme for today. Let's quietly go about our business but get ourselves as ship-shape as possible. So when it comes to having a solid take on what's going on around us, there are some minds that I have come to trust more than others, and James R. Harrigan is one of those minds. He is the co-host of the Words and Numbers podcast uh, that he does with Anthony Davies. He's been a, a excellent, excellent person uh, content provider in in terms of that uh, podcast. He's a very uh, well-known and respected educator. Now he is, I believe, the uh, editor-in-chief at the American Institute for, or the senior editor at the American Institute for Economic Research, which, as you know, if you listen to this program, is one of my uh, favored sources for information. I just think they really have their principles down. And I wanted to get James Harrigan's take on our situation, particularly the uh, the political brinksmanship that's going on. Well, I wasn't disappointed. He had an article published over the weekend. The title is A Subtle Catastrophe. I thought I'd share this with you, just so you could could uh, see where he's coming from. James Harrigan says, in the wake of the Afghanistan debacle, which could have been avoided with even a hint of executive branch foresight, President Biden needed a win. And how did he chase that much-needed win? Well, he ordered some 80 million American citizens to get vaccinated. This he presented to the country in a condescending temper tantrum broadcast live for all to see. Our patience is running thin, he said. Many of us are frustrated with the nearly 80 million Americans who are still not vaccinated. Now, James Harrigan says this is not what winning looks like. This looks like yet another president declaring his way to policy outcomes he wants by executive order, COVID style. In fact, he says it's hard to imagine Biden offering a more tone-deaf response. Part of his six-pronged strategy on the path to universal vaccinations seems clear enough to him and however many people advise him on a daily basis. This makes the difficulties with the plan, and there are difficulties down to the marrow with this ill-conceived mess, all the more incomprehensible. For instance, the Biden plan rests on mutually exclusive premises. First, there's the implicit assertion that the vaccines work. Indeed, they work so well that we should force 80 million people to get vaccinated, whether they want to or not. Now, this, of course, flies in the face of other pre- the other presupposition that we need to vaccinate damn near everyone because people are simply not safe otherwise. That's a good point. Aren't those who voluntarily took a vaccine already protected? If not, the vaccines are not all that effective, and mandating them will not make them any more so. If that's not the objective, are we really protecting the anti-vaxxers from themselves? Since when is that an appropriate use of government power? Harrigan says either way, forcing people to submit to a vaccine they don't want as a condition of their continued employment doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then there are the details of the Biden plan details that should make just about everyone uncomfortable regardless of vaccination status. First, employers with a 100 or more employees must mandate their employees be vaccinated or submit negative tests weekly. And it doesn't stop there. All federal employees are mandated, as are all contractors who do business with the federal government. Additionally, over 17 million healthcare workers make the list too. Since when does the United States president Have this kind of authority. James Harrigan says there's literally nothing in the Constitution that enables anything even close to this sort of thing. The President is tasked with executing the laws passed by Congress, not writing them himself, and there is nothing in Article I, Section 8 of the Constitution enabling Congress to mandate anything like this either. Oddly, members of Congress, their staffs, and the employees of the federal court system are all exempted from the Biden plan. Then again, maybe this isn't odd at all, given who might be inclined to object. Better to win their favor with favors now than have them saying something about the dubious constitutionality of this nonsense later. So we're left with a sitting United States president who's willing to do just about anything to make it seem like he's in firm control of a difficult situation. James Harrigan says, sadly, being firmly in control also means scolding 100 million Americans like some 19th century school marm. But maybe it's the rest of us whose patience should be wearing thin. Where there were once meaningful limits on the exercise of federal power, we now lurch from red to blue, each team waiting its turn to inflict its vision on the other team and the entirety of the country in the bargain. He's right, too. He's dead on right here. In the end, he says, people get the government they deserve. So we get a president who either doesn't know or doesn't care about the constitutional constraints of his office. Either way, it's it's unforgivable. But the red and blue teams will just put in their time until the next election when we'll do it all over again, proving we are all to blame to one degree or another. So which is it? Are the vaccines effective? If so, why do we need to mandate them? Aren't all those elected aren't all those who elected to get vaccinated safe or are they somehow ineffective, in which case mandating them serves no purpose. And while we're at it, how long will immunity last in the vaccinated? Vaccines are clearly effective in the short run. On that, we seem to have near universal agreement. How will things look in the in the long run? In the long term? James R. Harrigan says these are questions that Biden and his team should have asked before stepping into the deep end of the policy pool. Because they didn't, we will be left with a quieter, more subtle catastrophe than we saw in Afghanistan, but it will be a catastrophe just the same. If you haven't subscribed to the American Institute for Economic Research, if you haven't subscribed to get their daily emails, I would just like to offer my recommendation that uh, you do so. Look, you're not going to get spammed. You will get regular email updates from them. And always, there's about a half dozen different articles, different facets of economics and politics and culture and education. They are certainly not a one-note symphony. But the writers for AIER.org, in my experience, have proven themselves to be among the most principled, and the most based-in-reality people. Now, that doesn't mean that I agree with everything they say. Yeah, yeah, you you can take it all to the bank. I sometimes find myself in disagreement. But for the most part, they are very knowledgeable about what they're writing about. They're very principled. And, and it's, it's not caught up in that red state, blue state, whipsaw action that uh, James R. Harrigan is describing. Look, I make no secret of the fact I'm I'm turned off by politics. I think that uh, politics is poisoning everything that it touches. And when he describes it as, you know, each team is just waiting its turn, okay, as soon as we get back in power, we get to punish those who opposed us and impose our view of what things ought to be. It's been getting worse and worse with every election that I can remember going back for probably about the last 30 years. I don't think you're going to fix that with more politics or just, oh, you've got to just politic harder. Come on, everybody. I think what it's going to take is a lot of people stepping outside of the realm of politics and finding solutions in other institutions in society that have legitimacy, that can cause change and can bring about change, albeit on more of a voluntary basis than simply, you know, OK, everybody, we've held the election. The spears are now pointed that way or they're pointed at us because you know we lost. Politics seems like such a no-win situation. So I'll have a link to a James R. Harrigan's article in the show notes at the Brian Hyde Listen while you're there at the website. I'm going to ask you to consider subscribing to the podcast. And I'm also going to ask you to consider becoming a regular subscribing supporter of this program. Details are right there at the website. Click on the subscribe button. And it'll tell you everything you need to know. Some nice extras, some perks for those who choose to become uh, part of the uh, inner ring, if you will. And I sure appreciate your support and your help.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. A trusted voice of truth and light. Uh, God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny, And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: Hey, welcome to the show. So glad you could join me today. This is where we get together to engage in wrong think on a regular basis. And I'll tell you the way things are going. There's a real need to engage in wrong think, to question the narratives, to question what you are being told by powerful politicians, by media organizations and other institutions that uh, seem to be along for the ride. Ultimately, though, what I hope you find from this program is a place where you can enjoy some courage, some camaraderie and where you will find the necessary uh, emotional support, if you will, to claim your birthright as a free individual. That's what wrong think is really all about. It's not about just, (laughs) save that for for the uh, chattering class. This ain't about a a big shouting match. It's just about knowing what your rights are, standing up for, claiming, using, and defending them. Which sounds pretty easy, but uh, as as anybody who's been paying attention or actually standing up for their rights will tell you, it takes a fair amount of, of effort in order to do it. Our program is brought to you by great sponsors like the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah, also by lifesavingfood.com and by Monticello College.org. And I've supplied links for each one of these sponsors in today's show notes, which you will find at the Brian Hyde com. So I wanted to start with uh, a couple of different things here. One was uh, I'm very curious why we don't hear more about natural immunity as a factor in mitigating the spread of COVID. And just in interest of full disclosure, I'm, I'm going to tell you right up front, I'm not vaccinated. And I, I, I've i actually become very, I, was, I started out a little bit vaccine hesitant just because eh, I'm not really big a big fan of needles. But the harder that our government has pushed and the harder that various organizations have pushed not to persuade me, But to force me into taking that jab, the more determined I've become to not take it. And it's not because I have a death wish. I I have some really good friends. And and, uh, my longtime St. George listeners will probably recognize if I say the name John the Liberal. John the Liberal and I are still very much in touch. I still consider him one of the best friends that I made over a very happy and long broadcast career in southern Utah. And uh, neither John nor I live in southern Utah any longer, but I'm happy to hear from him. Uh, and John has been reaching out to me lately and telling me, look, dude, I'm, I'm just concerned. I really think you should get the vaccine. He's not being overbearing. In fact, I've got to give the man credit. He has been absolutely, he, he's reached out like a friend, a, as persuasively as possible. And uh, in his last communication with me, he says, you know, I'm having a harder time relating to people who don't take the vaccine. In fact, I want to share this with you. I'm going to just, I'll share uh, a few thoughts from him and um, John, I I hope you don't feel like I'm, I'm picking on you when I do this, but um, he says at this point, I'm finding it hard to relate to people who won't get vaccinated. He says, the numbers don't lie unless you believe the numbers are a lie. We'll actually talk about that a little bit later on in this hour. Uh, The States with the lowest vaccinated population are having big problems with full hospitals. Now, he says where I live, and that's in the Bay Area of California, the rates are high for vaccinated people, and there are few people in the hospital with COVID. And the ones in there all seem all are all unvaccinated. So he says it seems simple. It's way over 90 percent of the people dying are unvaccinated. He says, look at all the people on their deathbeds wishing they had gotten vaccinated and the terrible loss of those right wing radio talk show hosts. That's the worst thing for me. Yeah, my sarcasm detector kind of. Started to smoke and emit sparks when I read that part. That's that's tongue in cheek on his part. He says, I guess I understand the reluctance based on what is perceived as government overreach or whatever, but at this point, regardless, the right thing for you, your family, and your community is to get vaccinated. It's pretty clear. And he says, And the president of your church said too, said so too. If you know John the Liberal, John always, you know, kinda had a bone to pick with the LDS church, but I want you to know, I appreciate John reaching out to me. And, and I, I'm pretty sure he's seeing a lot of the same uh, news sources that, uh, for instance, my mom is seeing. Because I hear her saying my, many of the same things. And I don't know if you can trust those numbers or not. I, I honestly, I think that the numbers are, are being reported in a way to generate fear and to generate uncertainty. And I'm going to share a very detailed example of that coming up here in the next segment. but it doesn't change the fact that government is is out of its lane and i don't i don't believe for a minute that uh, all of the the stories that we're hearing about well it's you know it's just the unvaccinated that are filling you know the the hospitals um i know three people right now who are fighting a pretty serious bout of covid two of them are fully vaccinated one of them is not now that's i know it's just anecdotal but my point is the vaccine is no guarantee that a person isn't going to get it. So um, this this virus affects different people differently. I, I don't know what to tell you other than, you know, thank you for the concern. But I'll go back to what, uh, what uh, James Harrigan uh, said in an, in an editorial that I share in the other hour of the show. And that is, if the vaccines work, why would you need to mandate them? If they protect the vaccinated why is it so important that everybody else get it too there's something here that doesn't add up so i'm not telling you don't get the vaccine under any circumstances that is your decision to make and i hope it's something you take seriously enough that you'll actually you know do the the hard work of understanding what's at stake what the risks are what the benefits are i've done my own risk benefit uh, analysis and so far, the vaccine is coming up short. Plus, I have the added incentive that uh, I have someone trying to force me to do something against my will. And as uh, as an unapologetic, free individual, I'm just not going to do that. I, I need to make sure that people can clearly see that uh, there is not universal consensus on this. You know, the idea is that it's only the unvaccinated. I've seen a couple of different statistics out there showing this, and yet I've also seen studies. There's one out of Israel that uh, a friend sent me recently that seems to show that uh, the vaccinated are now finding themselves hospitalized. So you got to make that decision yourself. I'm sorry the waters are muddy, but even so, we don't hear much about robust natural immunity. Back in October, I am 99% sure that I had COVID. I actually went to get tested. That's how sick I was feeling. I thought I probably better go get checked and see if this is what it is. And I got to the COVID testing site. It was a drive-up site. Um, There were, I think, six cars in line, and they took the last three of us and turned us away. Sorry, we've done all that we're going to do today. So I thought, well, if it's not important enough for you to know, then it's not important enough for me. I guess I'll just have no choice but to go home and get better. Or maybe die, and I was feeling pretty poorly at that point. so I went home and uh, my wife remembered um, she remembered a, a, a kind of treatment that she had heard from a friend of ours, coincidentally, a doctor in St George area who um, had said there's a very uh, highly purified fish oil that seems very effective in helping reducing the inflammation and helping people who are having trouble breathing. And my wife had thoughtfully thought to pick up a bottle of that fish oil. She brought it to me as I went to bed that night, and and I was pretty miserable. My lungs were tight as a drum, and I had been uh, sick for at least a week at that point. And she says, "You should really try this. Let's just see if it helps." Now, look, I some there's a part of me that would really rather die than take fish oil because <laughs> I just think it's so nasty. But I bucked up and took a tablespoonful of this fish oil and. I was pleasantly surprised to find it really had no taste at all. Downed it, and I went to sleep, and I woke up about uh, six hours later, having slept well for the first time in many nights, and for the first time I wasn't wheezing when I woke up. And it took about another week or so of, you know, every, every time I, my lungs would start to get tight, I would take another tablespoonful of this fish oil, but uh, wow. Wow. It got me over the hump, and from that point on, I have not been seriously ill since that time. Now, I'm 99% sure. I think I I checked off about 10 out of 12 COVID symptoms. The only thing I didn't lose was my sense of taste or smell. But if, in fact, that was COVID, then I should have natural immunity. Earned the old-fashioned way. When we come back from the break here in just a few moments, we're going to talk about why natural immunity thwarts any case for vaccine passports. And maybe this is one of the reasons why we're not hearing a whole lot about it right now, because maybe those vaccine passports have something to do with, uh, oh, I don't know, other than uh, trying to, uh, to mitigate, you know, the spread of a disease. Maybe they're more about keeping track of the people. Maybe they're more about electronically tagging us like so many cattle. Maybe we'll talk about it. Just the other side of the break.
0: This is the Brian Hyde show. This is the Brian Hyde show. And just like that, we are back. All right, let's talk about
1: natural immunity. This is an article from the American Institute for Economic Research. John Sanders is the author. The title is Stronger, More Robust Natural Immunity Thwarts Any Case for Vaccine Passports. Ooh, tell me more. He says a growing body of research is making, in, making it increasingly clear that natural immunity to COVID-19 owing to previous infection is stronger more durable, and broader than vaccine-induced immunity. Apart from not being unusual among infectious diseases, this fact has significant implications for governmental, school, employer, and, excuse me, business plans to harass and restrict people who aren't vaccinated. For example, on June 4th, Stanford Medical School physician and economist Jay Bhattacharya, Harvard Medical School biostatistician and epidemiologist Martin Koldorf and University of Oxford theoretical epidemiologist Sunetra Gupta summarized it this way, embedding several studies along the way. By the way, there are links to all of these things mentioned. They said, quote, It is now well established that natural immunity develops upon infection with SARS-CoV-2 in a manner analogous to other coronaviruses. While natural infection may not provide permanent infection-blocking immunity, it offers anti-disease immunity against severe disease and death that is likely permanent. Among the millions that have recovered from COVID-19, exceedingly few have become sick again. Now, John Sanders says more recently, new research out of Israel makes the case that a prior COVID-19 infection offers far superior immunity than do the vaccinations. Gazette Um, X gazette et al al, rather in a preprint posted on August 25th of 2021 compared vaccinated people without prior COVID-19 infections with unvaccinated people who had recovered from prior infections matching them by infection and vaccination periods to test their immune activation time. That was 16,125 people in each group. In other words, 32,250 people. They found the vaccinated were 6 to 13 times more likely to have breakthrough infections than were the naturally immune to have reinfection. Can that be right? Adjusting for comorbidities, they found the vaccinated were 27 times more more likely to have symptomatic breakthrough infections than were the naturally immune to have symptomatic reinfection. Furthermore, he says there's reason to believe that for the previously infected, vaccination could be detrimental to their immune response. And this is from another uh, uh, bio RV, let me try that again, RXIV preprint posted on March 22nd of this year, found that COVID-19 recovered individuals do not seem to benefit from the standard regimen for COVID-19 vaccination. As they wrote, on the contrary, in individuals with a pre-existing immunity against SARS-CoV-2, the second vaccine does not only fail to boost humoral immunity, but determines a contraction of the spike-specific T-cell response. For the previously infected, then there's reason to believe that the vaccine poses no benefits, only costs. See, I'm not I'm not great at speaking the medical language, so for me it's still like yeah, blah 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 blah. blah, 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 blah. Charlie Brown's teacher has just explained this. Now for those of you with a medical background, you know, maybe it makes perfect sense. John Sanders goes on to say, George Mason law professor Todd Zawicki had several compelling reasons behind his successful challenge to his university's vaccine mandate. As seen by the July 21st letter on his behalf from the New Civil Liberties Alliance, Zawicki was previously infected, offered substantial research attesting that immunity to COVID-19 through infection was at least as robust and long-lasting as that achieved through vaccination. He had evidence to be wary of adverse reactions given his recent bout with shingles and was also concerned that all of the vaccine trials so far had specifically excluded survivors of prior COVID-19 infections. Citing a study in which researchers stated, we cannot exclude the possibility that the vaccination of a growing number of individuals with pre-existing immunity to SARS-CoV-2 may trigger unexpectedly intense, albeit very rare, Inflammatory and thrombotic reactions in previously immune, immunized and predisposed individuals. Well, that would explain, right, some of the uh, some of the weird reactions and blood clots that seem to come with some of the vaccines. Now, John Sanders says it shouldn't need to be said, except that this bizarre time in which things shouldn't need to be said are the very things that require clear statement. But such research and discussion is in no way meant to counsel against vaccination, which ought to be a personal decision based on a dispassionate weighing of personal benefits and costs without coercion. Nor is it to argue for deliberately contracting an infection. He says, I've personally witnessed this presentation of facts carom around inside someone's skull until it becomes out bruised and twisted. Oh, sure, go get COVID and die and then you'll be immune. Now, Sanders says these findings stand In stark contrast to the case for vaccine passports, that's the uh, euphemism for depersoning anyone who hasn't taken the vaccine against COVID-19. President Joe Biden has talked of banning interstate travel to the unvaccinated. Universities are barely waiting for the tuition checks to clear before imposing vaccine mandates hospitals health care facilities on down to rehabilitation facilities are denying critical care services to the unvaccinated who are also finding themselves in some places at risk of losing access to government services governments schools hospitals and some businesses egged on by politicians public health popinjays, jays and media are threatening the very jobs of the unvaccinated with those deadlines looming September could be a very bad month for job losses. Even some retailers, restaurants, entertainment venues and others are denying their services to the unvaccinated. Again and again, he says, these tyrannical edicts make no allowance for people with natural immunity. Should the people behind them get credit for caring, trying to further public health? Their defense, after all, is that they're trying to pressure people to do what's good for them. In other words, the White House considers vaccine mandates the right lever at the right time. How much goodwill shall we ascribe to them amid such pointless, callous behavior? The person turned away at the schoolhouse door. The person denied critical medical care. The person not allowed in your restaurant. The person forbidden from from fleeing to a freer state. That person without a vaccination card could very well carry a stronger immune response against the virus than the card-carrying elite allowed to participate in your unbrave new world. Oh, but the response is, unlike with the vaccinated, it's hard to know who's recovered from previous infection. Right, he says, and that fact undercuts the case for vaccine passports as well. Let me explain how. He says the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that only one out of every 4.2 actual infections of COVID-19 are reported in the U.S. Now, this estimate makes sense if you consider, for example, one member of a family of four tests positive, but the rest in the house feel sick, or also uh, so many milder, asymptomatic infections that wouldn't prompt a doctor's visit. These are, incidentally, signs of a highly functional virus-specific cellular immune response. He says, as of this writing, there have been nearly 39 million 280,000 cases, in other words, reported infections, and nearly 639,000 deaths. Multiply the case count by 4.2, then subtract out deaths. That implies that there are about 164.3 million people with robust natural immunity. That's nearly half the population in the U.S. Already 332.7 million per U.S. Census Bureau estimates as of this writing. Now, we're going to have to come back to this in just a few moments, but can you see the case he's making here? And as one of those people who's pretty sure... That he had, you know, COVID, but didn't have it documented. I do find it remarkable that uh, I really haven't been sick since that time. Knock on wood. We'll come back to it right after these
0: messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout out
1: to lifesavingfoods.com, one of our great sponsors here, and also a great place for you to find peace of mind against whatever may be coming. I know there are a lot of things that look a little bit scary out there right now, and it's not all COVID-related. Some of it's economic-related. Some of it's just, you know, I don't know if you've noticed some of the different uh, shortages that are going on. If you know someone who works in manufacturing, they could probably tell you more about it than I can. But I know that uh, there are you know, lack of computer chips for cars. There are lack of basic materials. One friend was telling me about how when he gives somebody a quote, he says, you know, uh, this, this quote could change before the day is out depending on the availability and price of whatever it is I'm going after. My point is simply this. There's a pretty fair amount of uncertainty right now One of the things that you can do that's absolutely within your grasp is to make sure that you have a good shelf-stable supply of food on which you can rely if for some reason the supply chain were to break down. Or, for instance, things were to get very expensive, which we're going to talk about in the final segment this hour. Go to lifesavingfood.com. Just take a look at the different packages, the different, uh, different various, uh, you know, grab-and-go packages. <clears throat> Everything from a 72-hour kit to a week-long food supply to a full-year supply for multiple people. It's all there. Pick what fits your budget. Be consistent at adding to and filling in the gaps in your existing food storage program. These are ReadyWise Foods, 25-year shelf life. They're available right now may want to act sooner than later. This is not one of those times you want to look back and say, oh, man, I had the chance and I didn't didn't do it. So consider it. The link is there on the show notes page at the Brian Hyde show.com. I'm sharing this article here from John Sanders from the American Institute for Economic Research about how natural immunity thwarts any case for vaccine passports. And he makes the case here. As of the time he wrote this, there have been nearly 39 million reported infections, nearly 639,000 deaths. If you go by the idea that maybe one in four, actually one in 4.2 actual infections of COVID have been reported, and then you subtract out the deaths, you would end up with about 164 million people with robust natural immunity. Nearly half the population in the U.S., according to the U.S. Census Bureau. Now, he says, without accounting for vaccination, then, roughly half the U.S. population already has an immunity to COVID-19 that's stronger, more durable, and broader than anything from a vaccine. But only about a fourth of them, however, would be able to prove it with documentation of a reported case. So, yes, it's hard to know who's already got natural immunity. That uncertainty, however, targets half the country when it comes to denying them common human decency and the mundane privileges of traveling, attending university, receiving medical care, receiving government services, dining out, or even buying groceries. He says such acts are made with the presumption that there's no good reason not to get a vaccine. Now, to be sure, there are several good reasons to choose vaccination, especially if you're among those vulnerable groups, such as the elderly and those with chronic disease. But as Zwicky showed, there are also good, compelling reasons that someone might decide against vaccination. Dr. Coldorff and Dr. Bhattacharya wrote in the Wall Street Journal back on April 6th, the idea that everybody needs to be vaccinated is as scientifically baseless as the idea that nobody does. COVID vaccines are essential for older, high-risk people and their caretakers and advisable for many others. But those who've been infected... Are already immune. The young are at low risk, and children for whom no vaccine has been approved anyway are at far less risk of death than from the flu. If authorities mandate vaccination of those who don't need it, the public will start questioning vaccines in general. They go on to say vaccine passports are unjust and discriminatory. Most of those endorsing the idea belong to the laptop class, privileged professionals who work safely and comfortably at home during the pandemic. Millions of Americans did essential jobs at their usual workplaces, and they became immune the hard way. Now they could be forced to risk adverse reactions from a vaccine they don't need. Passports would entice young, low risk professionals in the West and the developing world to get the vaccine before older, higher risk, but less affluent members of society. That means many unnecessary deaths would result. So, John Sanders says the right response in these uncertain times is, as always, the response that protects people's liberty and respects their autonomy. Fight vaccination passports and similar mandates forbidding people from enjoying all the privileges they enjoyed as a matter of course prior to March 2020. He says resist the urge to burden your employees, students, patients, and patrons. Even taken on their own merits, excuse me, these prohibitions amount to nothing more than a coin flip against each and every person turned away. Considered in full, they are cruel, discriminatory, and ultimately. Self defeating. I'll have a link to this in the show notes at the dot com. Um, very well researched. Lots and lots of hyperlinks within the article. I know some people just want to skim the surface and then proclaim themselves experts. I've I've researched this and uh, just waiting for my PhD to arrive in the mail. But if you want to dig deeper into these topics, and especially, I notice the the stuff from AIER always seems to come with very well-sourced links and documentation. This is how you do it. Does it take more time? Absolutely, it does. Is it worth it? Well, you tell me. Let's talk for a moment about uh, trust issues with the official numbers of COVID cases and those who uh, would question whether those numbers are being exaggerated to generate public fear. I just uh, I listened to this over the weekend. I'm not going to play you the audio clip because it's fairly poor audio quality. But a leaked Zoom call of health officials in North Carolina clearly shows a very detailed discussion of how to report the numbers in a way that scares the public into complying. This is an article from w- WBTV.com. It says, Novant Health New Hanover Regional Medical Center has issued a statement after a video of an internal discussion on how the hospital reports its COVID-19 patient count was leaked on social media. The just over two-minute video sparked a heated discussion online, with many pointing to the conversation as proof hospitals were falsifying or artificially inflating case counts one of many what they call conspiracy theories circulating as health officials report record case counts in many parts of the country. The video begins with the hospital's director of marketing, Carolyn Fisher, explaining what information the hospital provides in terms of COVID-19 numbers, with specific mention of the percentage of unvaccinated hospitalizations. Dr. Mary Rudick, who previously served as chief of medical staff for NHRMC, responds bluntly saying she feels the hospital's messaging seems to, needs to be a little bit more scary for the public. She then proposes including patients she characterizes as post-COVID in the hospital's case count, the primary source of the outrage on social media. After sorting through an apparent misunderstanding, Rudick further explained her point. I think those are important numbers, the patients that are still in the hospital, that are off the COVID floor but still occupying the hospital for a variety of reasons. Now, Shelbourne Stevens, who earlier this year was named president of the hospital and the coastal market, clarified Rudick's request, explaining patients who were initially hospitalized from COVID-19 or with COVID-19, but are no longer positive for the virus, are considered recovered and therefore removed from the hospital's COVID-19 patient count. But I do think from our standpoint, we would still consider them a COVID patient because they're still healing. And then the partial video ends with a blunt statement from Dr. Rudick saying, I think we have to be more blunt. We have to be more forceful. We have to say something coming out, you know, you don't get vaccinated, you know you're going to die. I mean, let's just be really blunt to these people. Now, when reached for comment, a spokesman for Novent Health issued a statement saying, well, the team members involved in this excerpt of an internal meeting are seeing the highest level of COVID-19 hospitalizations and deaths so far in this pandemic, despite having safe and effective vaccines widely available. This was a frank discussion among medical and communications personnel on how we can convey accurately the severity and seriousness of what's happening inside our hospitals and throughout our communities. Specifically, the data we've been sharing does not include patients who remain hospitalized for COVID-19 complications, even though they are no longer COVID-19 positive. So it does not, complete, does not provide a complete picture of the total impact of COVID-19 on our patients and on our hospitals. We continue to be concerned with the amount of misinformation in our communities and consistently strive for more ways to be transparent and tell the whole story. The continued rise of hospitalizations makes it evident we have more work to do to reach our communities with this message. Okay, that's all fine and dandy. I understand. You got a tough job. You're working under combat conditions, so to speak. But we just have two of your people there talking about how can we report these numbers in such a way as to scare the public that doesn't strike you as maybe just a little bit uh, out of character or a little
0: less than honest do tell this is the Brian Hyde show this is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show.
1: Man, I am just getting so much off my chest today. I should probably be paying you therapy, right? That's only if you're a licensed counselor, though. (laughs) I, I kid. Hey, our program is brought to you in part by the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Yes, Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. And if you are looking for a traditional loan, a VA loan, reverse mortgage, maybe just want to refinance your existing home loan and you reside within the state of Utah, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage has the stability and the clout to get you the loan you need without delay. You can call them at 435-703-4522 if you're in St. George. Stop in and see them at 619 South Bluff Street. All right, a couple of things I wanted to cover in the last segment here. Um, one of these is kind of good news. The other one, um, well, something to pay attention to, but this, is, this should not uh, scare you or should not leave you feeling hopeless. Let's start with the good news. By now, it should be clear that anybody who wishes to retain his or her personal freedom to any degree has to be willing to assert it. And that's uncomfortable for some people because there's a lot of pushback right now. Alan Stevo says, we have got to get used to saying, show me the writ, meaning show me the policy. That's the spirit you have to have at all times if you want to be free. Just a couple of quick excerpts here. His column says, in 1776, a bloody rebellion started. As economist and historian Murray Rothbard depicted in his five-volume classic, Conceived in Liberty. What came before that, though, was the true revolution. Now, Alan Stevo says, dozens of times a week, I have phone conversations, email conversations, and text conversations with people in which they say they are subject to some policy. He says, I ask for the policy. They don't have the policy. They've never read the policy. They've never seen the policy. And he says, sometimes after that conversation, they refuse to even get the policy. They talk about how intimidating it is to ask for or how the website with the policy was hard to navigate. And sometimes they even say, I'll just look for an attorney. He says, wouldn't it be easier to just call the person who handles the website and ask them to either navigate you to a PDF of the policy or email you a PDF of the policy? He says, listen to me. If you aren't resolute in what you want, hiring an attorney, an attorney is one of the surest paths to getting cheated. If you can't work up the gumption to ask for a policy from a boss you've known for 12 years and whose children's birthday parties you've gone to, you have no business hiring an attorney unless, possibly, if he's somehow a saintly attorney who also happens to be a, have a totally empty schedule devoid of work commitments, family commitments, and all other commitments and hobbies. Not sure that I know anyone like that. Otherwise, he says, your paid attorney will pay you the indignity of ignoring you just as you allow your employer to do. You can't outsource your fight for personal freedom to an attorney. You have to do your own growing to be free. Now, he says an attorney's not a surrogate for you in your personal growth. Yet so many treat an attorney as such. An attorney is someone who works for money. He will do what it takes to get himself money. And if you don't have the wherewithal to direct that effort, you will end up with your attorney chasing money, no matter how harmful that pursuit is to you. Now, Alan Steevo says attorneys can be great. They're useful in open and shut cases. None of today's public health mandates are open and shut cases, though. He says there's a lot of uncertainty. They're also great when properly managed attorneys can leverage up the influence of a free man who knows what he's about or they can create greater misery in a client's life. So am I saying not to get a lawyer? No, he says quite the opposite. I'm saying to toughen up a little and be ready to do the things it takes to be more free. That is a powerful message. And one of the most important things you can do to protect your freedom is to have frank conversations with the people who consider it their duty to limit your freedoms. And that can be very hard for some people, but he says without that growth, some people will not be free. Freedom ultimately comes down to honest face-to-face conversations. So he says, you've got to be the squeaky wheel. You've got to be the one who asks, let me see the policy. I'm going to skip ahead here. Um, The link to this article is in the show notes, so I hope that you'll take the time to check it out. Here it is. This is the point he wants to make. He says, every man or woman who wants to live free will be comfortable or will become comfortable in asking, show me the policy. And then reading the policy, and I mean really reading it, understanding it, have Black's Law Dictionary on hand if you need that to understand a particular word or phrase. But he says, these are basic irrefutable aspects of living civilly in society. Your one sentence email could actually end up creating three hours of work for your boss. Not fun, but that's why he gets paid the big bucks. Is this bureaucratic and procedural approach the key to freedom? In essence, yes. He says freedom is had by constantly negotiating with those around us in a way that allows us to honestly protect our boundaries. Interesting thought. I think I think Alan Stevo has put in so much time and effort into a, a good principled way to assert your freedoms. Strongly recommend him for anybody who's feeling like, i got to do something. And Alan really speaks to, to the spirit of freedom that should be burning in the hearts of many people, but right now seems only limited to a few who take it seriously. The fact that you're listening to this message right now tells me you're probably one of those people. All right, one final note. It's pretty hard to miss. Everything is costing more these days. Now an executive for a major supermarket chain is warning, we are about to start really feeling rising inflation when we shop for food. This is from uh, the Epic Times. An executive of Kroger, one of the largest supermarket chains in the U.S., warned grocery prices are about to become even higher this year as inflation sets in. Inflation's running hotter than previously anticipated. Prices are slated to rise an additional 2 to 3% over the second half of 2021. That's according to Kroger CFO Gary Millerchip during a call with reporters. Now, last week, I think it was last uh, Friday, he said Kroger will be passing along higher costs to the customer where it makes sense to do so. I mean, come on, what choice do they have? They're in business to to stay in business, not to become a charity. This comment comes as the price for beef, poultry, and pork have risen at grocery stores in recent months, leading White House officials to blame meat processing companies. Ah, that's what we need—a little more regulation. Just four large conglomerates control the majority of the market for each of these products, beef, pork, and poultry. And the data show that these companies have been raising prices while generating record profits during the pandemic. Great. Now tell me about the pharmaceutical companies. Sorry. That was National Economic Council Director Brian Deese at a press briefing on September 8th. Deese, taking aim at JBS, Tyson Foods, Cargill Meat Solutions, and National Beef Packing Company, said these companies have seen record or near-record profits in the first half of this year. And that's coincided with a period where we've seen disproportionate increase in prices in those segments. Secretary Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack claims some food companies may be price-gouging, though he noted that labor and transportation costs have risen since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. You think? Phil Sack said our job is to make sure that the farmer gets a fair price and that the producer, when I go to the grocery store and I'm in the checkout line, and I'm, getting a, I'm paying a fair price. Guys, the market will take care of this. It doesn't need government interference. So there's a couple of things to, to worry about here. Not that you need to sit and stew, but at least be aware of them. Yes, the costs are going up. And it's not a matter of, well, these greedy food producers are just hiking their prices. There's no doubt they probably are hiking their prices, but it's because the purchasing power of every single dollar in circulation is diminished because of the massive amounts of money being dumped into the system. That's how inflation works. It's not a matter of, well, they're just raising prices because they're greedy. It's a matter of there are more dollars chasing the same amount of goods and services and every one of those dollars is worth a little bit less. That's how inflation works. The same, you know, 300 bucks that you spent on groceries last month is only going to buy you, you know, $250 worth of groceries comparatively this month, even though you're still spending that 300 bucks. I think this is probably a time to get serious about storing canning growing producing your own food wherever possible i see more people getting serious about this i mean if you have if you have a place for chickens it's a wonderful thing to to participate in that to cooperative art of protecting and feeding and watering your chickens and in return them providing you with a ready source of protein as well as a barterable good maybe you want to go in with friends on a, on a milk cow or something like that i don't know a garden a greenhouse Maybe you just want to bolster your food storage program. I don't know. Just be prepared. Costs are going up. Government is saying, well, we may have to get involved. Oh, great! That should fix things for us, he said sarcastically. Better to stand on your own two feet wherever possible.